You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Today we've, we've, been, we've been talking about what it means to be a convergent Christian community. And I'm doing it because we, I want to just give some vision about the kind of church that I want us to be, the kind of people, the kind of community that I want us to be. And last week, listen to the podcast, I talked about what convergence means. Essentially, it means being hospitable. It means being the kind of church that doesn't just specialize in one way of worshiping, but we are embodied, we are human, like, we, like today, literally. Do you realize what you've just done today? You've went from shouting to a prophetic, two prophetic words given in a service, to being quiet, to seeing a Christmas video of your pastor falling down and literally hurting his pinky almost probably permanently the entire since since then to talking about chili and now you're going to hear one of the best sermons in your entire life. I mean that is like a very embodied it's a very convergent community that we have and so we want to be those kinds of people. We don't want to just be that way here. We want to be the kind of people in our homes who can invite people over and those people will see something they're comfortable with and something new that you bring to the table. We want to be people who are multifaceted. Um, Today, and this is just a super easy uh, topic, I want to talk about what makes our community Christian, like besides Jesus, which would be the obvious answer. Uh, I asked the elders, uh, we have a series coming up in October, November called The Essentials, and I said, what are some essential elements of the Christian life you'd like to hear me talk about? And Elder Ron was like, talk about love. How? There's so much to talk about there. And then I realized as I'm writing this sermon, the texts we're going to read may be some of the greatest expressions of what the love of God looks like that's attainable for us as well. And so we're going to read, and I think you'll find them familiar, but we're going to read a few texts throughout the Bible, and I think you'll get the theme as we go. I'm not going to ask you to stand because I want you to pay attention to the nuances and the differences in these texts. So our first one is going to be Matthew 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink it, all of you, for this is my blood. Mark 14, 22 to 24. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, take, this is my body, and he took a cup, And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said to them, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Luke chapter 22. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in the remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. 1 Corinthians 11. Paul is talking. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in the remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in the remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now an odd text for the Lord's table. Psalm 23, verse 4 and 5. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Focus on this verse right here. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Understanding that God prepares a table for Jesus in the presence of Jesus' own enemies The disciples asked Jesus, who is going to betray you? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. No one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the, for the feast, or that he should give some to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out 
and it was night. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts to a brief encounter with what it means to be hospitable on a completely and total Christian level. I ask that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive this word, Father God. In your name we pray. Amen. We'll start with Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson says this, the Christian life is the act of living in what God has done, is doing, and will do. It's that simple. Just do that. Live in what God has done, is doing, and will do. Last week, we talked about the liturgical, the evangelical, and the Pentecostal, and how they all happen in all the stories of Jesus. And I want to look at the Passover feast, the, the, the night that the disciples come to what will one day be called the communion table or the Eucharist. They only knew it as the Passover meal at the time. And so we see the liturgy of them always coming to the table for Passover. They always did that. They never didn't. There was a liturgy that got them to the table. But then Jesus is introducing the evangelical because he washes Peter's feet at the table. And when he washes Peter's feet, he says to Peter, I've done this for you as your master. So if your master is doing this for you, you should go and do likewise. And so Jesus is saying, it's not, it's the liturgy got you here, but now I'm going to introduce some new things to you. And some of them are, you have always known authority as being the most verbose, the most confident, the ability to answer the questions the quickest. And we see in our culture what it looks like when authority goes horribly wrong all the time in the church, in the government, everywhere. And Jesus is saying, here's a new way of authority. You exercise your authority by getting on your hands and knees and washing the feet of your enemy. Again, it's that simple. Like, I'm just telling you easy things that we can all go out and do with no problem. Think of the person you hate the most in the world. And don't play because I know there's people that you all hate the most in the world. And if I'm one of them, it's perfectly fine. Picture washing my feet now. It's a scandalous thought. But Jesus... The perfect one gets down on his hands and knees and washes the feet of Judas. Someone that Satan was about to enter. The kind of person that Satan could enter. And then there's the Pentecostal. The Pentecostal, in this case, the liturgical is getting them to the Passover all the time, getting to the Passover liturgically. They always celebrate Passover. And then the evangelical is saying, but this, this Passover meal means something that you have to go do. It's not enough just to check off a box. You have to do something with it. You have to experience this with me and then go and do likewise. But then there's the Pentecostal, and it's very subtle because the Pentecostal in this story is about being able to see something brand new and something that is old. Seeing a new meal in a meal that they had been eating for 2,000 years. <laughs> no one's going to get up and like wave handkerchiefs at me and stuff for that. Not that we do that anyway, but it would be cool. But especially as we get older, when the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to see something brand new and something that you've become very familiar with, all of life changes in our latter years in ways that we can't even possibly imagine. When you can see newness in things that you've always seen. Stephanie stood up here and said, change is coming. How many people can say you've heard that once or twice in church before? How many people have heard the song, it's a new season? A lot. We get used to it. But what if God can allow us through his spirit to see something new in phrases that we've been saying our whole life? Because here's what I'll tell you right now. What, whenever we pass away, in the moment of passing away, we will realize we didn't really pray all that much. We didn't really go to all that many services. We didn't really hear things said that much over and over and over again. Like when you're alive, you feel like you've been doing it forever. But the minute the end comes, you'll realize I'd give anything for more time. I'd love to sing that song one more time. I'd love to get into the congregation and say thank you one more time. If you lose somebody, how quickly is it for you to say, I would just love to have one more meal with them? You're used to having meals with them until they're gone, and now all of a sudden you'd kill for newness again. The Holy Spirit can bring that before we lose someone. 
He can bring that now in your marriage. He can bring that in your friendships. He can bring that with your children. He can bring that with your church. He can bring that to the disciplines, the self-care disciplines of trying to eat right and live right and exercise. We feel like it's getting old. We've tried too many times and failed. The Spirit can show you new inside the old all the time. And we need him to do that. It is vital that he does that. But it says on the night on the night when he was betrayed. And we have to understand, if we're gonna talk about what it means to be a Christian church, our show starts at night. We're called to be salt and light. The moon is out 24-7, but you don't see it until the sun goes down. The church enters stage right when things get dark. Your Christian life, when things are going really well and you're with people who are following Jesus, your Christian life isn't super differentiated when things are going well, but when things go wrong, that's when the difference between the way we live as faithful Christians and the way people live faithful to whatever else it is that they think gives them their identity, that's when it starts to look a little bit different. So our Christianity here together, it doesn't look all that different, but when we leave and it's night, that's when it looks different. So for one, can we please stop complaining that we're always in tumultuous situations because maybe God is sending us there to be salt and light in the darkness? Holy Spirit, I pray in the middle of this message right now that you would help us to not be cynical, that you would help us to not immediately interpret a circumstance on how it's affecting us, but maybe ask you the question, is there a mission behind this? In your name we pray, amen. Every time something rough happens in our life, we say, why me, why now, what is God doing in my life? Maybe it's rough for you because it, some light needs to be shown to your neighbor. Maybe he's throwing you into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth so that you can heal some people who are weeping and gnashing their teeth. Show them something different. Show them a new way to hope. Show them that there's something better than positivity. There's something called hope. There's something better than having a good self-image. There's being in the image of God. There's something better than extremism. There's balance. There's fullness. There's maturity. Jesus gives thanks for bread, and then he breaks it. Thanksgiving in your heart is the only way, is the only environment that can happen inside of you. Thanksgiving is the only environment in which you will give of yourself. If we're not thankful, we will immediately be selfish. If I'm not thankful, then that means I'm living like I should have more. And when I'm living like I should have more, I'm definitely not going to be generous. I'm only going to give when I think it could be most advantageous for me. We show the Christmas video again or something? Like, I'm just Jesus takes a whole piece of bread. He gives thanks for it, and then he breaks it. What is this telling us? This simple act, what is it telling us? It's telling us that when something is whole, Jesus gives thanks for, for it because it's whole. So there are things in our lives that are whole. Some of us went to bed last night and our whole family was safe. Say thank you for things that are whole. Some of us went to bed healthy. Some of us went to bed with a decent financial situation. Some of us went to bed with friends and, and social networks and resources and people and jobs and were able to put one foot in front of the other. Some of us went to bed in those scenarios and we, we are so cliche that we forget to say thankful for the things that really could be gone in a second. But when it breaks... We don't thank God for the brokenness. We thank God for the face of God that we see in the brokenness. So when something is whole, give thanks that things are whole. And when something breaks, give thanks that you can still recognize God in that which is broken. There is never a scenario where we shouldn't be giving thanks. When it's whole, don't, don't take it for granted. When something is whole, when you get on your pillow and your family is safe, say thank you. When you wake up and have a job, say thank you. When you wake up and your neighbor has a job, say thank you. When your life breaks, which to some extent or another, all of ours will, be thankful for the God who is still recognizable in the brokenness. 
Be thankful for the God who says, when we talk about chains breaking, some of us sing that and think mine are never going to break. And some of us know we'll go to our grave with some chains that haven't broken yet. We don't, we can say chains will break. Not, we can say chains are broken, not because they're broken now, but because they will be. This is a concept that is getting lost on Christianity. What it means to be Christian is Christianity is defined by hope more than anything else. And we have been just so disenfranchised with the book of Revelation and so mistaught that we've just relegated hope for the experts. And we just try to live our best life now. And the the reality is, didn't mean to do that. And the reality is, hope is everything to us. I can say my chains are broken because I know they will be. Why? Because the one who promises to break them is so trustworthy that when he says he will, I can say it's done. Not because it's done right now, but if there's somebody that I knew that had perfect character and they said, in one month, I'm going to pay off your debt, and they had perfect character, I could say at the, um, on day one of the 30 days, my debt is paid off. Why? Because the person who said they would pay it off is perfectly trustworthy. So when they say they will, we can speak as if it's done because their character is perfect. We cannot forget that we serve a God who says, though for a little while weeping may tarry, joy will come in the morning. And sometimes we have to rebelliously pull that joy into the now, not because it's necessarily joyful now, but because it will be. And the one who says joy is coming is so perfect that we can celebrate what's coming now. And if you think this isn't true, look at the way we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas so far in advance Because we know it's coming, why can't we celebrate the rest of Jesus like that? Thanksgiving is everything to living a sacrificial life. Thanksgiving is everything to living a generous life. If we're not thankful, if we're not able to recognize God in the brokenness, we're going to hold on to things too tightly. And anything we refuse to let go of, we will lose. We will lose. So the communion table, you've heard me say this before, this is kind of a repeat sermon from this point on, on the night he was betrayed, it can also be said on the night that he was betrayed by Judas, on the night he was denied by Peter, on the night he would be doubted by Thomas, on the night that he would be left alone by everybody else except for John, he took bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. This, to me, is maybe the number one, the the most Christian phrase for our personal life is, nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. The number one phrase for our Christian corporate life is, this is me broken for you. That phrase, this is me broken for you. So let's talk about what Jesus didn't say. A lot of us, this is the worst, a lot of us say, we live like we're saying, this is your body broken for me. We live and use people. We want them to be generous. We want to enjoy somebody else's fruit of the Spirit. I'm doing a wedding this afternoon at the Roundhouse in Beacon, and they, they chose 1 Corinthians 13. And every time I hear it read, I, just, I get more and more introduced to how impossible that text is. Love is patient. Just stop there. Impossible. <laughs> Obviously, love has no children. That's why I can be patient, because if love had children, like, love is sometimes patient. Love is I. Like, it would, the, the text would be a little different. But I realized when I was hearing it read yesterday at the rehearsal, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I enjoy when love is patient toward me. I enjoy when love doesn't rejoice in my wrongdoing. I don't always break myself to live that way for others. And so I realized what I'm saying a lot in my life is I want your body to be broken for me. And when it's not usable to me anymore, I'll move on to somebody else's body who can be broken for me. Someone else's time, someone else's talent, someone else's treasure, someone else's ability, someone else's affirmation. 
This is us just living in our carnality, and don't look at me like I'm the worst person. I at least have the grace of being able to admit what most of us in this room do all the time. But here's what else he didn't say. And I used this, because I don't know the couple very well whose wedding I'm doing today, so I used this in brief marriage counseling with them. And I said, you know, Jesus, Jesus could have said, this is my body broken because of your denials, Peter. This is my body broken because of your betrayal, Judas. This is my body broken because of your doubting, Thomas. He could have said that and been 100% right. But that's not what he says. And many of us live feeling broken by betrayal, feeling broken by communities who haven't loved us the way that we feel we should be loved, by communities or people or husbands or wives or children or friends who have denied us or doubted us in a moment when we needed to be encouraged, there was doubt. And it's so easy to say, my brokenness is because of you. And then we pass off all the responsibility that comes in living the humble life because we make our brokenness about other people's fault. Like, I don't have to be humble with my brokenness. You need to be humble with my brokenness because it was your fault. So you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord so he can lift you up so you can stop breaking me. We don't want to offer our brokenness to God like Jesus offered his body to the Father. Because then I have no one to blame. Then I have to live in this and say, maybe God is going to do something in my brokenness. And at the end of the day, we don't want him to because we don't want to be broken. This is why Jesus goes up to every person he heals and says, Are you, do you want me to heal you? Like, obviously they do. Not so obvious if he says it three times to people. Because the minute you get healed, you've heard me say this before, now you're responsible to live in your new life of healing. And maybe you don't want to. But here's, here's an important piece. Because I am not saying get broken by people. Because here's what we know. Jesus says, he doesn't say this is your body broken for me. And he doesn't say this is my body broken because of you. He says, Judas, this is my body broken for your betrayal. Peter, this is my body broken for your denials. Thomas this is my body broken for your doubting. I'm not broken by you. I'm broken for you. My brokenness is going to wrap itself around your betrayal. And again, all the debate, all the debate, where Judas go? Did he go to heaven? Did he go to hell? Did he repent? Did he not? Here's my thing. I have landed the plane on this. I will take Jesus' last words over Judas and leave it there, friend. The last thing Judas ever hears Jesus say to him is friend. See, because sometimes we have to allow ourselves to be broken. And it hurts. But here's another way we break. Sometimes we break by letting people go. And this is what was impressed upon me to stay on the most. Sometimes I have to be willing to be broken because somebody's going to do betrayal things to me or denial things to me or doubting things to me. But sometimes somebody can be so dangerous that to continue to stay in their presence is not faithful to Christ. Somebody can be such a user that it's actually depleting me of who I am as a person to be around them anymore. And so the question is, Sometimes we have to let people go. And if letting them go doesn't feel like brokenness, you're letting them go the wrong way. But there are times where somebody's going to say, hey, I need help again. And you have to say, I'm not helping you again. Because your help has turned into enabling. But when they say, oh, you don't love me anymore? Our response has to be, this is breaking me to not help you, but this is my body broken for you. You'll never know how much it's breaking me to not lend a hand anymore. You'll never know how much it's breaking me to walk away. The prodigal son's father, when he let the prodigal son go, could have said, me letting you go is my body broken for you. Not just getting the insults from you, but letting you go is breaking me more than anything you've ever said to me. Letting go of you is breaking me more than anything that's ever been thrown in the house and hit me. 
Judas, go do what you are going to do quickly. Sends him away. Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. But I'm praying for you so that when you return, you'll strengthen your brothers. What is Jesus doing? He's saying to Judas, go. He's letting go, saying, go do what you're going to do. He's saying to Peter, you're going to deny me. Go. I'm praying for you. You're leaving my control, but I'm praying for you because I believe you're going to come back. But Jesus lets him go. What about Thomas? On Easter evening, Jesus shows up and Thomas isn't there. And then later on, Thomas says, if I could just see the holes in his hands and the holes in his feet, right? We talked about this a few, if I could just see the craters on his body, I'll believe. And what does Jesus do? He waits eight days. He lets him go. He doesn't just run to every single need the minute we think we have the need. So on the one level, he gets battered by people. And there's a season for us to be attacked. There's a season for us to be verbally attacked. There's a season for us to live in a relationship where we're giving and everyone else is just taking. There's a season for that. But there's also a season to let go, to walk away, to say not anymore. And both of them break us in different ways. And in both instances, we have to know that we're saying, this is my body broken for you. Even walking away and keeping myself safe is breaking me in a different place. I know families in this room looking at me right now that have let kids go. And initially, those kids could say, oh, you used to provide for me, you used to love me, and now I need help, and you're not helping me. We are, just in a much more cultivating long-term way. And it's breaking us. And this is our body broken for you. This is what it is to be Christian. Not living in a system but living with our bodies already broken so no one can break us. Look, you can't break this bread anymore. <laughs> this bread, did I run out of, did we, we need to get new mics? This bread is broken already. Can't break it. It's broken. When bread breaks, people eat. How many have said, come over and we use phrases like, oh, we're going to break bread? When bread breaks, people eat. You ready? When, when Jesus is in the wilderness and Satan says, if you're hungry, make bread. Henry Newman said something so interesting. He said, the devil was asking Jesus to make what he already was. Saying, Jesus, reinvent yourself. I don't have to reinvent myself. I am already bread. I don't need to make it. I know who I am. I don't need to prove myself to you. When we are broken before the Lord, it's much harder for somebody to break us. And what we are right now, Salem, and this, this message is, it's hinging on lines that are so fine, and I understand them all, and I'm speaking in a very general way because this is, this is the line we have to toe. Nobody walk out of here and say, I'm advocating for you to get physically abused because I'm not. Always walk away from that. Look at the person next to you and say, Pastor just said, always walk away from that. Do not get your face beat in ever. That is always wrong 100% of the time, no matter how many verses he quotes at you. Get away from it. I'm talking about soul brokenness. I'm talking about heart brokenness. I'm talking about emotional brokenness. I'm talking about ego brokenness. Jesus broke bread. And he gave it to all of his disciples. And when they all ate it, the loaf became whole again in them. There's broken bread in that basket. When we all partake of it as one church, the loaf becomes whole again in us. This is why Jesus looks out over John and his mother, two people who are broken, and he says, John, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. He's uniting them again in relationship because in relationship is where wholeness is. So we break out there all week long, and then we come here to the table and we become whole. And then we go out there and break. And then we come in here and we become whole. And this is the rhythm of the church until Jesus comes back and makes everything so whole. We don't have to come to church on Sunday because every day is the Sabbath with him, right? There's no more need of a temple. There's no more need for people to show up late anymore. Like there's no more Sunday in heaven. You're always going to be on time in heaven, Salem. You'll finally get there. It'll be, 
if you're late in heaven, there's a real problem on a lot of philosophical and ontological levels. So you won't be late anymore. Sometimes somebody's going to break you. And the Holy Spirit in you is going to say, don't tell them that you're broken because of them. Let your brokenness be for them. Sometimes we have to let people go. Sometimes we have to hold on to them. Sometimes we have to let them go when it's breaking. Sometimes we have to hold on to them when it's breaking. And then other times, we just have to say, neighbor, friend, coworker, person that I just met, this is my time. This is my talent. This is my treasure broken for you. This is my home open for you. This is my money spent for you. This is my last remaining energy given to you. This is my patience offered to you. This is my faith for you. This is my affirmation poured on you. Whatever it is, we need to be people. We need to be a community of people who see the world around us like Jesus saw the disciples at the table and say, world, we are the body of Christ, and therefore this is our body, our collective body, broken for you. We have churches preaching their stands every Sunday all the time, and it's crazy and it's nonsense. I was telling somebody today, and I'm going to close with this. I was telling somebody today, I have a stand in my home. My three-year-old, almost three-year-old daughter is not allowed to walk outside when we're not going outside with her. Fair? We're not too strict. Here's what a lot of pastors are like in that analogy. The stand is, Sophia, you're not allowed to walk outside. So I'm going to spend all of my time home by the door talking about my stand. And then she's up there, Daddy, you want to play with me? I'm by the door. We don't let people out. Daddy, you want to watch a show with me? I'm by here. We, we're, we're, the, we're the kind of house where you can't walk outside. You want to you wanna pray with me before I go to bed? You, you're, you, you go to sleep, but I'm going to be right here because if you walk out in the middle of the night, maybe if you stop standing near your stances and start playing with your daughter, she won't be thinking about the door that she could run out. Sit down and sing songy songs with her. Celebrate the fact that she went number two in the toilet for the first time. Praise the Lord Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. Never got so excited. There was like shout music going on in our house. For real. She was like, we, we were actually having an argument. We were arguing and she goes, mommy, don't like, shut up, Sophia. We're having an argument about something. She's like, I went poopy. And we're like, ah, like jumping up and down, freaking out, so excited. Like maybe spend time enjoying that stuff and they won't be thinking about this, where, the, where the boundary line is. Now, granted, you all tell me when she's 16, remind me of the sermon, the whole thing fell apart anyway. It's... <laughs> this is my life given for you. Talk about stands when somebody bumps up against the edges, but when they're not there yet, love them. Love them. Offer yourself for them. We're so, we're stingy, not so much in the time we give, but the attitude that we give it. It's so hard for us these days. You've heard me make this joke before, but it's true. On Monday, you have a lot of emotional money in the bank. And so somebody says to you on Monday, hey, we should get together. You know, we should hang out on Friday night, maybe go to Buffalo Wild Wings, watch some baseball or something. You're like, yeah, I'd love to. And then you spend some of that emotional energy Tuesday, you spend some Wednesday, you spend some Thursday, and Thursday night you spend the rest of it. So Friday you go to work and you're now in debt emotionally and your energy because you're, and then your friend calls and is like, hey, I got sick, I'm not going to be able to go tonight. And you're like, yes, I'm so happy that I'm so, I'm so sorry to hear that you're sick. Is there anything we could do you want us to pray? I want to put you on the prayer chain. Should I call Claire and Mandy and throw you on the prayer chain? You want to go on the prayer chain? And you're so happy because there's a point where you'd literally rather get a nail hammered into your nose than go out to the plans you made on Monday. We get so weird about this stuff. But at the end of the day, what does Jesus say? He says, my food is to do the will of my Father biologically doing things removes food from our body and we get hungry, but Jesus is saying in the kingdom, doing things energizes me. 
So we have to do things like take care of our bodies. We have to do things like exercise. We have to do things like try to drink enough water and get a good night's sleep. Why, pastor, this is crazy? No, because when we take care of ourselves, we have energy for people. All of this matters in the words, this is my body given for you. When you treat your body well, you're loving your neighbor. And listen, you're looking at me right now. I mean, let's take a side shot. We're all trying. We're doing our best. But we can be so stingy with time. Show, put, put the chart up, E. Please, please, E. I'm telling you what to do. I'm kind of telling you what to do, but nicely. The Eucharist begins when we gather. It's a meal for the church. And when we repeatedly come and hear the words and come to the table and eat the meal that Adam and Eve were supposed to eat the whole time and failed to, we become Eucharistic people. The Eucharist shapes the church into being a Eucharistic community. And when we celebrate the table together, we become people who say, this is my body given for you. And when we become people who say that, our homes become that. This is my door open for you. This is my life available for you. That's Christianity. That's what it means. Cruciform love. Love that costs. We decide where we want cost. We just need to be the kind of people who are okay with proactive, this is how much I'm going to give of my time, talent, and treasure. And then also we're going to be Pentecostal in the moment. Sometimes something just knocks your calendar out and you got to do it anyway. And trust, can we Again, this has been, we've, we've been injured with these phrases, so I feel weird saying them, but we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I was raised hearing things like, if you're on a diving board and God tells you to dive into the pool and you don't see any water, but God told you to dive because you're going to hit water. Trust that something's going to be provided for you. And we've, we have been abused with that, but we can't, we can't just stop saying it. Because there is reality to the fact that Elijah says to the widow, pour the oil that you have in that jar out. And the minute you put your jar like this again, there will be oil in it for the next, for the next bowl. And then pour it into the bowl. And when you go like this, there's going to be oil in it for the next one. And keep doing it so that you and your son can live for 40 days. We can't, just because verses have been manipulated doesn't mean the verses are bad. Just because somebody's marriage was abusive doesn't mean marriage is bad, right? It just means that one was bad. So those verses aren't bad. It's just the ways people preach them are. But we have to be careful to not negate the fact that sometimes God does tell us to do something and we don't see the providence and trust the providence will be there when we act. It's how I got here. It's the story of my entire life standing here right now is doing things before it seemed like there was providence for it and being told, don't forget about this calling. Don't forget about this calling. I called you. I'm faithful. I'm going to bring it home. Don't worry. Just stay the course. When it seemed like there was nothing but famine for ministry, and then bang, look at this. That's not just a minister's story. That's every story of every person I'm looking at. When we have the mentality that says, this is my body given for you, God will keep giving you body. <laughs> He'll keep giving you more body to give. The Eucharist is called the great thanksgiving. Why don't we stand to our feet? Where I want this to land here right now, everything we can talk about, about being generous and giving, really comes down to thanksgiving. In every text that we read, and after giving thanks, he. And after giving thanks, he held up the cup. And after giving thanks, he broke the bread. And after blessing it, he broke the bread. On the night he was betrayed, he gave thanks and broke the bread. Everything comes down to the, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus has two pieces of bread in his hands, and he doesn't say, Father, give me more. He says, Father, thank you. Everything begins and ends with thanksgiving. And everyone in this room, you have equal footing to be thankful because 
You're thankful for what is whole, and then you're thankful for the God who can be recognized in what's broken. Some of us have a lot of wholeness to be thankful for, and some of us have a lot of brokenness to see the presence of God in, but everybody can be thankful. Everybody. And so with every eye closed, and please close your eyes. If being thankful is a struggle for you, I truly feel like there's deliverance for that today. And again, you have to understand, I'm not the kind of pastor who thinks a world of brokenness can be healed in a moment. But deliverance doesn't always mean it's immediately fixed. Deliverance means the process of healing has begun. Deliverance is the process of healing because all of us are headed toward healing. Some of us will get there first. Some of us will have it healed. Some of us won't. But deliverance is not the end result. Deliverance is being on the road to healing. The minute the disciples on the road to Emmaus turned around and started walking in the right direction, deliverance happened. Deliverance didn't happen when they made it back. Deliverance didn't happen when the prodigal son met the father. Deliverance happened when the prodigal son said, I got to go home. So even if you feel like this is too much, and this is a very common thing, but if you can honestly say, I'm having trouble being thankful. I'm more cynical than I am thankful. I'm more judgmental than I am thankful. Listen to me, I'm more bored than I am thankful. I'm more angry than I am thankful. I'm more hurt than I am thankful. I'm more focused on what other people aren't doing than I am thankful for what Jesus is always doing. If that's you this morning and you just need to be turned around and and be sent on the beginning of the road to deliverance, I just want you to lift up your hand this morning. Heavenly Father, Touch every hand that had the courage to be raised this morning. Touch every hand that has extended itself to say, I need to be more thankful in my life. And don't only touch that hand, but touch everyone that is ever going to be associated with that hand for the rest of time. The friends, the coworkers the parents, the families, the children that are associated with our lives whose hands are raised. I pray that you would permeate these people, Father God, anoint them with either the joy of thanksgiving or the ability to bring a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Whether it feels like a sacrifice or whether it feels like joy, I pray that it would be there, Father God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would over time speak to us about why we're having trouble being thankful. Help us to find the epicenter, where that is coming from, why it's existing, not in in shame or guilt, but in deliverance. Deliver us from the taproot of our cynicism. Deliver us from the taproot of our boredom. Deliver us from the taproot of our judgmentalism. With this as our context, and I believe, for those of you who raised your hand, I want to give a small piece of advice. There's something in the history of the church called thin space. And thin space is usually spoken of about a room like this where for years and years and years, praise and worship has gone up. And so when you walk into a church, sometimes you can feel the presence of heaven in a way that you can't other places. But when you raise your hand, when you obey the Holy Spirit, you become a thin space for the rest of the day. And I'm specifically talking about the next few hours. When you acknowledge that you need the Holy Spirit to touch you, you will be more irritable, more easily disturbed for a little while than any other time. Take care of yourself for the rest of the day today. Understand 
that you can be easily stirred and agitated today. Understand that you're a thin space for a little while. Read your Bible. I'm going to sound like I'm 100 years old, but listen to Christian music. Don't turn on the TV right away. Don't get into your phone right away. Don't Insta this or Facebook that. Don't do any of those things right away. You're a thin space. Let the Spirit complete the work that He's starting in you right now. If you've had an experience in the Holy Spirit today, let the rest of the day still be Sabbath for you, please. Don't jump into the next thing, but realize there's more the Spirit wants to do. This is just the beginning. A Sunday service is the beginning of Him speaking to you. But there's more to be said. I'm not the majority of the voice in your life. The Holy Spirit is. With this as our context, let's immerse ourselves into the general thanksgiving of all the churches everywhere today. Let's begin by confessing the faith that saves us together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. The Lord is here. Lift up your hearts. It is right to give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing. Listen to this. This was our message today. Always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Therefore, because it's right to always give you thanks and praise, therefore we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn and proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, you, in your mercy, sent Jesus Christ, your only and eternal son, to share our human nature, to live and die as one of us, to reconcile us to you, the God and Father of all. That's what Christianity is. It's pain sharing. It's not just praying for someone at an altar, but it's joining their struggle with them. He stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself in obedience to your will, a perfect sacrifice for the world. On the night he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and became thankful. He broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in order to remember me. After supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. When he said for many, he's talking about us. For you, he was talking to the disciples. And when he said, for many, he saw your face. Whenever you drink it, 
Drink it in order to remember me. Therefore, in all of life's mysteries, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, recalling his death, resurrection, and ascension, we offer you these gifts of bread and cup. Sanctify them by the power of your Holy Spirit, that they may become for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. And sanctify us also, that we may worthily come to your table in unity, constancy, and peace, and at the last day, rejoice to give you thanks with the entire cloud of witnesses. Father God, I pray that you would sanctify us, that we might become food for the world that we're about to meet this week. All this we ask through your son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, almighty Father, now and forever, and everybody said, amen. And now, as Christ our Savior has taught us, we are bold to say together, our Father, These are the gifts of God for the people of God. The ushers will release you from the back to the front. Come to the table on Thanksgiving this morning. to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.